Hey everybody, this is Tyler and Sarah. Say hi Sarah. Hello. And we are finally getting to record another podcast. Baruch Hashem. Talking about the Aramaic Rit Hadashah, the Peshitta in particular, and how it's relevant and how it is uh, contributed to... Are you stopping? No, keep going, honey. I'm okay. not positive. <laughs> <laughs> just want to talk about some more ways that it has uh, impacted the history of the body of Messiah and uh, how it's relevant. So we're going to get into some of those details here in a second. We're going to say a blessing first for our Torah study for the night. We'll say, Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kidshanu B'Mitzvotav, V'Tzivana L'Asok Divrei HaTorah. Amen. Amen. So we have a couple goals for tonight. Um, specifically, we are wanting to expose the corrupt history behind the Trinity doctrine using the oldest um, original Chadashah text and give a short synopsis of a Jewish understanding of the Memtet and the Divine Spirit of Messiah. Because if you think you can point out a heresy, you better have an understanding, at least a beginning of an understanding of the truth to go in its place. Um, yep. So yeah. go big or go home tonight. Go big uh, or go home. We'll be giving a very... Uh, we'll call it elementary. Concise. concise. But yeah, this, this is a very, very big topic with a lot to say about it, but we will give as Very complex... Um, an overview answer on that side as we can. Yeah, so we're going to start with a couple of assertions that we've really established in previous uh, podcasts, but just to kind of inform the new listener, uh, these are kind of assertions that we've made and that we'll be building from tonight. Number one, uh, that at the very least, the what we have as the Greek is not the original. Any honest scholar would say that the Greek is not the original text of the New Testament. And what we've believed and what we've laid a foundation for in a couple of our one and two sessions, one and two, is that the Aramaic, uh, what's known as the Peshitta, is the original text of the Brit Chadashah. And it, it, even scholars who disagree with, with that on the Peshitta would even say, well, the original is Aramaic, you know, it's not the Greek, it is Aramaic, and for some reason they just have um, some hang-ups about the Peshitta, but we've given some pretty good examples of how the Peshitta really shines light into the text and um, has that Hebraic flavor. So without rehashing that, because I know that's our favorite subject, um, let's start with some verses and um, we're going to kind of be interjecting with some history here because the main point of tonight's uh, talk is that the Catholic Church actually went in and changed the scriptures to build and support um, a Trinity doctrine. So even the oldest Greek text read differently um and so that's kind of the highlight of tonight's topic tyler what verse do you want to go to first so we'll look at a there's three verses we'll uh, focus on and um what these are illustrating is the difference between the oldest text uh, of the aramaic uh we believe the oldest we believe the original uh it's referred to as the peshitta um there's a another text of the Aramaic known as the Peshito. Uh, it's very similar, but there are some differences made to it uh, to bring it more in line with Western readings, with uh, the, the Latin, the Roman readings of, uh, of the uh, New Testament there on their side. Um, and so just a quick overview, that's because early on the Church of the East, not the Greek Orthodox Eastern Church, but the Church of the East in uh, the Middle East, the Aramaic-speaking church, uh, began to kind of split into two factions. There was a side that remained independent, that 
was never under Rome, that was never part of the Roman Church, and then there's a side that would later on you know, like slowly come into more and more fellowship with the state Christianity of the Roman Empire. Uh, and they're the ones, that that church, that compromised Aramaic church is the one that produces the Peshito, which is the uh, altered, in places, um, the altered text that matches these uh, Greek readings in places. So those are what we're going to look at, those differences between the uh, Peshitta and the Peshito. And we'll examine how those differences have played a role in shaping doctrine. And the theme we'll see is that it's doctrine related to the idea of a, a trinity and um, the Western understanding of the deity of the Messiah. So, that was a lot of recap, I guess, too. Um, we will start with first, let's go to the one in Acts. Okay. Acts 20, verse 28? Yes. Okay. So the difference we see here is in a, a phrase that the uh, oldest text, the Aramaic Peshitta has, um, where it references um, the, the... You want to get your phone? Yes. Um, that the congregation, uh, English translations will say church, Greek will say ecclesia, um, but the congregation... Um, was purchased by the blood of Mashiach. That's what the Aramaic text says. If you're familiar with uh, English Bibles, most English Bibles will say uh, he purchased his church uh, with, uh, that God purchased the church with his blood. So it'll say he was purchased the church with the blood of God, basically. The congregation of God, which was purchased by his blood. Yes. So they've exchanged the word Messiah for God to indicate that it was... Not the blood of Messiah, but the blood of God. Yes. And um, that goes back to a dispute that was held in the between the Church of the East and um, the rest of Christianity for whether or not in the suffering of Yeshua it was literally God suffering, whether in the birth of Yeshua it was literally God being born. So that's where you'll see the whole idea of is Mary the mother of God or not. Um, that was... Uh, it became a popular doctrine in Catholicism. It was a hotly contested issue among uh, certain areas of uh, the Orthodox Church. It was never accepted in the Eastern Church, um, but it was on, it was uh, influenced by uh, Egyptian Christians in the uh, would be the third and fourth century, mm. who um, were maintaining. And influenced by practices from Egyptian idolatry and uh, the cult of, of Isis, where they worshipped the mother and child, and that mm -hmm. cult was extremely popular. The mystery mother cult. Mother and child. And so that stuff was applied the later. Madonna and child. Yeah, to Miriam and Yeshua. She was sort of, unfortunately, she was associated with that in their eyes. And so, since the Egyptians were worshiping the mother of a god, they made Miriam out to be the mother of. A god, so that and that's nothing there. new for Catholicism because, I mean, they were always, well, many times they're accepting and bringing in new pagan beliefs to, quote unquote, convert pagans into Christianity. Mm -hmm. You know, like the whole yeah, Saturnalia, yeah, and Christmas. You know, we know that that was originally a pagan practice but in order to you know quote unquote win these people into the religion they said well you can keep your pagan festivals we'll just christianize it and you know it's all gravy you can be in the church right right there's a lot of examples of that in the in the roman church and instantly that's another example of difference with the church of the east they they don't celebrate messiah's birth on december 25th either Right, As an aside. the Church of the East, right. Mm -hmm. The Aramaic-speaking church that has yes. um, maintained the Peshitta, the Aramaic, Brit Hadashah, right. since presumably the first century. <laughs> Their tradition is that it was received directly from the apostles and handed down. They say, we didn't have any councils telling us this book is in, this is out, this is just what we got from the apostles handed down. Right, so. Baruch Hashem. So, um... The 
the verse, Acts 20, verses 28, mentioning the congregation of Messiah. Yes. Um, rewritten falsely, the congregation of God. Um, that relates really closely to another verse, uh, Hebrews 2, right? Yes, it's in Hebrews 2. Verse 9. Yes. Hebrews 2, 9. If you want to read that for us. Because it's all centered around this idea of, you know, can God die? Is Can God be born in the flesh and... Um you got it? Uh yes. Okay, let's let's hear Hebrews two nine. Okay. So I'll read it first. This is a, a typical English translation based on the Greek. And then I'll Okay, so this is based right. on the Greek. Okay. Okay. So but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Yeshua, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And what's the key phrase we're focusing on there tonight? So here in, in this English translation from the Greek, it says, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Okay. But if you go back to the Aramaic, it's a different phrase there. What is Hebrews 2.9, that phrase, um, by the grace of God, Yeshua tasted death for everyone. What does it say in the Peshitta? It would translate to, so that apart from God, he might taste death from everyone. Apart from God. Right. And you can see why this reading would be scandalous for the Western church. Right. Especially if you know, according to Acts 20, and this is not what it says, but if, if you're going with uh, the congregation of God was purchased by God's blood, then you can't have him right. elsewhere God apart, from apart from God. Right, God can't die apart from God, exactly. Right. Or die at all. And this is the nonsense, the kind of like the crazy mind trap you get in in the Trinity doctrine is they're the same, but they're different. And, but they're the same. And they can't be, but they are. And you just you're just like, Well it's just, you know, you can't get it. Right. It's trying to explain a very deep concept from Jewish mysticism without any of the background of Jewish mysticism or Judaism at all, by the time you get to the, you know, codification of the Trinitarian doctrine. So you've cut yourself off from all of this ancient mystical understanding of what the Son of God means. Of what Mashiach means, of right. how he's from God in a sense, um, and they make yeah, it oversimplifies things, it complicates things at the same time, it makes him literally God in the flesh, and uh, I think if you look at the Peshitta, right, the earliest witness you see, it's not teaching a message that's consistent with that understanding. I interrupted you. I'm sorry. Oh no no no! So yeah the. The, me- the message of the Peshitta is not consistent with the, with the Western dogma of the, the Trinity as right. it is understood. Right, right. Because if, if you simplify it too much, if you try and put rocket science or organic chemistry into kindergarten shapes and colors, you miss out on the chance ever to learn organic chemistry and rocket science. Right. It's taking something mystical and taking it very literal. You call something by a name that it's not. You end up putting a label on this complex, mystical, in-depth, beautiful concept, construct, this galaxy of a concept <laughs> yes. and and call it the color red and you know you you go on preaching okay well the simple term for this gigantic concept and then people take away ideas that were never intended and take away practices that were never intended and um it's a dangerous thing it's a dangerous yeah. thing and I think that's why Judaism has at times said, okay, this, you know, being in covenant, you don't have, it's like, if you, if you never end up studying Kabbalah, that's okay. Right. It's <laughs> you don't have to understand all of this. Yeah. It's not necessary for everyone. To be a kosher Jew. Right. It'll say in the Zohar, not, not every soul can receive this. It's, and it's not meant for everybody. And, um, 
it was written in very codified language. Uh, when the mm. Zohar is put into writing, it's put in just enough can survive of the mysticism that it won't be lost, but that you can't really learn it without a teacher. Right. Um, all of it's follows the whole pattern we see elsewhere in scripture up here, little there, little. So it's scattered all over the place. So you need a teacher, and you need a holistic understanding to know what these things are about. And it's very opposite to the way that the Roman Church ended up approaching the subject matter of we're going to codify this, we're going to make a creed out of it. And if you don't believe in our creed word for word, and you have a few things different here with us, then you're a heretic, and you're out of the body Messiah, and you have nothing to do with us. So it took a very opposite understanding. Not just of what it means to be Son of God and Messiah, but of how to even approach teaching that subject. Right. It became it became a mandatory belief um, just to be in the covenant. Yes. When Judaism has said, you know, creed not I mean deed not creed. Right. Believe in the unity of Hashem. Take on the yoke of the Torah. Don't do idolatry, you know? Like, don't do idolatry and, you know, learn as you go. Mm -hmm. You know, learn as you grow. And... But the church has said, okay, well, you gotta gotta sign on, on this thing in blood. And it's really a fear mechanism. These creeds throughout history and these teachings from the pulpit have been used as a fear mechanism to scare the sincere of heart and who want and have a spirit of truth. Yes. And they feel like they have to sign this paper in blood, you know, and say this creed with everybody just to be safe from hell yes and it that is like that is terrifying that's unrighteous it is and it comes back to also to a you know lack of familiarity with the history of the church because it's so often at least the way i always saw it was this is just what christianity has all always believed everyone believed this and looking at the history of the church of the east realizes no they they didn't um Right. The Roman Church took this and made this their doctrine. The Eastern Church did not in the same way. And for a large part of uh, church history, the Church of the East was bigger, covered more area of land, um, was even more successful at, at times mm. than uh, the Roman Church for, for a long time. It wasn't really until the uh, wow. um, rise of uh, Islam and then ultimately beyond that to the fall of the, uh, or to the rise of the Ottoman Empire later on in the... Uh, the 12th and 13th centuries that the Church of the East started losing ground and fell behind the churches of the West, the Orthodox and Catholic churches. But but no, there were huge, huge populations of Christianity that didn't share what would be the Orthodox definition of these things, and because of that were considered heretics and out of the fold by this smaller group of Christianity in Europe. Hmm. But because European Christianity survived and thrived and grew into most of world Christianity today, and Eastern Christianity has dwindled and is barely surviving been anymore, oppressed and been and, oppressed and been yeah. persecuted, um, history has been written by the winners, and hmm. this has been what's been inherited by most of uh, Christianity in the world today. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that, Tyler. Yeah. So you said we had three verses to talk about. Yes. Okay. What's the third one? The third one is in First John. Okay. And it's actually not a verse in the Peshitta. Unlike these other two where it reads differently, this one's not in there at all. Because the Peshitta is the Brit Chadashah minus five. Yes. Books um, that were written later, like Revelation or smaller books that... Uh, you know, for one can make the case for not as consequential. Um, yeah, I think that's probably a big part of the reason why. Um, yeah, the Peshitta also differs from the Peshitto in that um, it has five books less in its canon, if you will, than uh, the Peshitto and the 
traditional uh, Western-defined uh, New Testament. Um, it lacks... Oh my gosh, we can't move to First John first. We can't move here, there okay. yet. We like hardly unpacked Hebrews 2.9. Okay. Okay, we have to go back, and we have to talk about how... Can you read Hebrews 2.9 again? Yes. Go back there? Yes, Tolarabah. Yeah. Because there's this whole thing about Esther that I wanted to bring out. Yeah, yeah. And it's like so good, and we can't not say it. Okay. So, reading Hebrews 2.9, in accordance with the Peshitta translation, it'll be, But we see him who for a little while was made a little lower than the angels, namely Yeshua, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that apart from God he might taste death for everyone. Is there another part of that where it quotes Yeshua saying, Why have you forsaken me? Um, How did we make that connection? Because he's... That he is being he's being cut off from God there. He's okay. dying apart okay. from God, referencing what he says. Right. He's on the stake mm-hmm. and he's becoming sin, the sins of the world, and so he's cut off from God. Right. Okay. Okay. So in that mm-hmm. light, what does Yeshua say on the stake? He quotes from Psalm twenty two. Um, you know, in English we'll say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yes. Okay, that was the connection. And so historically, Psalm 22 is first attributed to someone who's in the line preceding Mashiach ben Yosef, and that is Queen Esther. Oh, yes. yes, yes, Queen Esther. So she says this, um, they've been fasting for three days and three nights, and she makes her, uh, she enters into the palace to, sing, uh, to see the king. Yes. And how does it go? It's lined with idols. Mm-hmm. And the Shekhinah, the Holy Spirit, leaves her. Yes. And she says this, um, Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So I thought this was so good. From the Yerushalayimi Talmud in Berachot, chapter 1, the sages say the redemption of Israel will come about like the first rays of light before the dawn. They're referring to the beginning of the redemption, the mission of Mashiach ben Yosef. And so they they connect that to uh, Esther's prayer. And I just thought that was so amazing because we see Mashiach ben Yosef saying that Mm -hmm. in his suffering, the suffering servant saying the same thing. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I mean, it's... I just this is like one example it's like why christian doctrine it just like dumbs you down in a sense because you're like trying to say that god who has taken on human form is dying but crying out at the same time my god my god why have you forsaken me and it's just it's like this like God gave you a brain, people. You know, like, let's uphold his word and believe his word. And um, so I'm so excited about after we finish the First John reference about getting into a little bit about the spirit of the divine spirit of Messiah, Mimtet, and a Jewish perspective, at least, about the manifestation of Hashem and Messiah. So didn't want to leave that out about Esther, though. Yes, thank you. You are welcome. And I think it's interesting that Hebrews 2.9 says, who was made for a little while a little lower than the angels. Mm-hmm. Because Mimtet is the, kind of like this angel figure. Um, Makes sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, First John. Okay. So, um, again, we'll look at it from a... From a... Uh, Let's get it from the King James. That's based on Greek texts that actually include this this verse in First John five seven. The one that was added. Yes. Okay. So, First John five seven. 
we'll say, for their three. So can I just pause? So the King James is based on the Textus Receptus, which is yes. 11 Greek texts. Uh, yeah. Um, about 11 Greek texts. And they're like, none of them are like the oldest. Right. And so that's why this reading includes this added verse because it came later. So the oldest ones read differently. Right. Okay. So the verse that's added here says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. So that verse is not in the Peshitta, and not only is it not in the Peshitta at all, um, it's actually not in any of the oldest Greek texts as well. So it's another place where it's added to the Greek. Right, because we don't have the whole book in the Peshitta. First John. Yes, we, we have First John. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, uh, people. Oh, yeah. Um, the Peshitta, um, <laughs> the, ver- the books that are not in the Peshitta are Second uh, Peter, Second and Third John, oh, okay. Jude, and Revelation. Okay. If we said First John or whatever, we apologize. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so we have to clarify. First John is in the Peshitta, yes. but this verse is not in the Peshitta. Yes. Well, that makes a lot of difference. Mm-hmm. My goodness. Okay. Sorry, if, if we said that, I did not catch that. Um, yes, the rest of First John is in the Peshitta. Okay, so can you read a little bit of context? Go ahead and read like the verse before whatever okay. context would require, and then we'll specify what's the omitted verse again. Okay, so starting back here in verse 6, uh, he's referring to Yeshua. Uh, this is he that came by water and blood, even Yeshua the Messiah, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that bears witness. Because the Spirit is truth. And then moving on to verse 8, from verse 6, it would say, And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three are one. So, it's these are the three things he's talking about, the Spirit and the water and the, the blood. That's what he talks about in verse 6 and verse 8. One seamless thought flowing. But Western writers, somewhere along the way, added verse 7. Put it in the middle. Um, just as an aside hey there's also three in heaven and it's the Father and the Word and the Holy Ghost and these three are one so that verse is not in the Peshitta so First John is saying that there are three witnesses and their witness agrees yes that's what it means these three are one <laughs> because yes. they're bearing witness and you know for a witness to stand it has to agree mm-hmm. um so somewhere along the line, right. by the time you get to King Jimmy at least, you end up with this verse saying there are three in heaven, mm-hmm. the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. Yes. So that was added to support, create, support a Trinity doctrine, mm-hmm. and it's not in the oldest Greek text, and it's not in the uh, Aramaic. Right. Not in the Aramaic at all. And... Uh not in the oldest and what people consider the best Greek text. Um, mm. But it's still a point of contention um, mm. among those who hold to the the King James is like the best English version or the only right version. This is something they'll point out all the time. They'll say, hey, look, these other newer Bibles are deleting this verse. It's like, not really. They're just getting back to a better reading this time. Hmm. Hmm. But, but this verse is very controversial, even among people who rely on the Greek uh, as the primary source. Right. Somebody honest has to go. It was added somewhere. Right. It's just not in the best versions. Yeah. Yeah, it had to have been added somewhere else later. It's just not there otherwise. Right. Right. Hmm. Well, Baruch Hashem for people who have a spirit of truth because and who want the truth because once you find these kinds of things out you keep looking (laughs) you know and you keep searching and you you know you have a spirit of religion and you're holding on to something bad when you start rejecting the writing on the wall and try and hold on to a dogma I mean for for someone who's going to point and say they're deleting this verse when the oldest don't have it, it's backwards. And right. um, 
Your ideas have to fit the scripture, not the other way around. That's the way to say it, is your ideas have to fit scripture and not the other way around. When you try and rewrite the Bible to fit what you want it to be, you're playing the wrong game. <laughs> oh my goodness. Should be right Mercy right. Hashem. So, those are three examples from the Peshitta of what was changed to support a Trinity doctrine. And as you mentioned before, the Trinity is basically a, a teaching that developed based on a misunderstanding of the Jewish mystic teaching of Messiah. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yes, things were taken literally that weren't meant in the literal sense we would take them in the West. I'm about to burst. I'm so excited to talk about Messiah. Okay, burst. Okay, okay. So, basically, um, based off of Genesis 1-1 where we see the word Elohim, you, you see that it's not the, the Christian understanding of a a godhead um it is god and his entourage which are the angels because throughout scripture el and elohim refer to not just hashem right and we know that elohim is not hashem's name hashem the the four-letter divine name is hashem's name and Mm so it's a term um Something you shared with me beforehand is even just the word Bereshit, you know, with the beginning. Um, So Hashem is so beyond, so beyond, so beyond that he had, when creating creation, he had to create a vessel through which to create. He's not, like, he's so beyond and so amazing in his wisdom that he decided to bring forth this memtet which is kind of like this awesome angel like, hashem katan he's referred to as sometimes right figure and um but not a literal figure not a little figure you know yeah uh according to rabbi yeshko talki it's not a what. I mean, it's not a who. It's not a person. It's a what. It's the life force of Hashem. And we see throughout Scripture that this life force, um, that with the beginning, Hashem, it's it's the same thing as the word. It's the logos, which is Greek. Um, it's the firstborn of creation. We see that term in, um, in the letters. I'm going to read Colossians 1 here in just a second. But that this life force of Hashem is, yeah, it's of him. And so in a sense, it, it is him, but it's, it's more of him. It's a what. And we see that this, this spirit um, has to do with Enoch, Moshe, Yaakov, Yosef, David, Eliyahu. Joshua, yeah. Joshua. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I can't forget Yehoshua. It's like Yeshua's namesake. Um, and... But they had this this spirit in part. Right, they're yeah, part of the system, part of that spirit, yes. Yes, yes. And it wasn't until I I I really I love how Rabbi Mordecai Griffin puts it that this one born of a virgin, this one that was you know, we're all we're all sinking on the Titanic because we all have the poison of the serpent from Adam Harishon. Mm-hmm. And so Yeshua comes of a totally different order, born of a virgin, doesn't have the poison of the serpent. And so he's able to receive the fullness mm-hmm. of this memtet, this life force of Hashem. Mm-hmm. And gosh, I wish I knew the reference, but it's in the Zohar. And it basically paints this picture of the ocean 
and a cave pool that's connected to the ocean. And so it's like, I mean, you can picture a cave and the water from the ocean's flowing in and flowing out and other water's flowing in. And so, it, you know, you could say that the water in this cave is entirely ocean water. The only water in this cave is ocean. But no one could say that the entire ocean was in the cave. Mm -hmm. Because the ocean didn't empty to fill the cave, but it's filling the cave. And Right. I believe this is in the Talmud, actually. And it's about how can the Shekinah oh, of God okay. be concentrated in one place when he's everywhere. It's possible. And um, Okay. Okay. But that's the idea, is that he can focus and fill up a place but still be everywhere and mm. um hmm. and yes his yeah yeshua did have the fullness of the spirit of god on him yes yes so colossians 1 starting in verse 15 it is through his well this is verse 14 but it is through his son that we have redemption that is, our sins have been forgiven. We know that redemption comes through Mashiach. And in Jewish thought, the Son of God refers to the King of Israel. Um, it's so clarifying to hear this, and it's going to fight against some of your Christian doctrine, but it's so clarifying to know that there's one God, and he sins of himself into the world like the burning bush like the angel that Manoah saw that and Yeshua in the fullness in Yeshua but you can't say that the burning bush was God you can't say that these other things are God um Colossians 15 uh, 115 keeps going he is the visible image of the invisible God. He is supreme over all creation because he's the firstborn of creation and, and he's the one through whom all things were made. Uh, verse 16, because in connection with him were created all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, lordships, rulers, or authorities, they have all been created through him and for him. This is like one of the most direct things I can think that says Memtet all over it. Right, this is in reference to that that Memtet, Logos, Memra, um, that Word of God concept, that way that God right. Logos, interacts, interfaces um, with the world and the world interfaces with God. And that's what Yeshua has been raised up to. He's been elevated up to that level now. Yes, Karen. Well, I was just going to insert, mm -hmm. just real quick to let yeah. you keep going, but just to inform uh -huh. that Logos, of course, most people know is Greek for word, but Memra is Aramaic for word. Yes. Yeah, you'll see uh, they're used pretty much the same way. Uh, Logos uh, was from Philo, who's a, a Jewish philosopher uh, a little before Yeshua's time, who wrote in Greek uh, in Egypt. And the Mimra is the way the concept is referred to in the Targums, but they're referring to the same thing about... What is referred to? The way the, the Word of God is referred to in the, the Targums. Okay. Um, the same thing, the same idea of this concept of God interacting with the world through this sort of medium, this sort of system. So Colossians goes on to say he existed before all things and he holds everything together. I think some versions say by the word of his power, but also he is the head of the body, the... Uh, congregation the messianic congregation he is the beginning so that goes back to this kabbalistic idea of bereshit with the beginning he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead so that he might hold first place in everything and this is the verse for it pleased god to have his full being live in his son mm -hmm. and through his son to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making shalom through him through having his son shed his blood by being executed on the stake. And so I just could throw this phone down and go to bed. Yes. <laughs>
Yes, I believe that's what he's referring to, this concept of this divine system, this spirit, this, um, what we'll call the, the memtet, the logos, the, the word, that through which God has interacted with the world and made the world, that um, certain men throughout history have been elevated into union with and into, a, you know, functionally become part of it, uh, the way we see with uh, with Enoch in, in Jewish mysticism, and uh, the way we see with Yeshua as well. Um, but, wow. but that is different, as you'll see. It's not the same concept as what the church defined later as, you know, Yeshua himself being this pre-existent, eternal, separate entity um, separate person of the Godhead that becomes flesh and is born in Nazareth. Right. Um, it's, Yeshua it's wasn't a figure in heaven that descended. He's something that was made apart from Adam HaRishon to house and receive. I mean, maybe you can think of a better way to say that. The, the Memtet life force that is Hashem. That's Hashem. how I would see it pretty much, yeah. Yeah. And it's not too dissimilar, just incidentally, from the way that the Church of the East ended up describing the um, idea of the union of this uh, of Yeshua's nature, her natures. Because that was a big part of the conflict specifically with uh, Western Christianity uh, between, I'll give the Cliff Notes version of this, what was considered um, the Monophysite Christians and the Myophysite Christians and the Diophysite Christians. It was arguing over, does Yeshua have one nature that's both God and man? Does he have a God nature and a man nature, etc.? Um, and that was what the Catholic Church came down on, was yes, he has just one nature, He has, but it's both God and man, so that when he's born, God is born. When he dies, God dies in a sense. Um, so that was what Catholicism... The God-man formula, fully yes. God, fully man. Yes. Yeah. Um, the Church of the East. Cross-facial. Yeah. While their doctrine isn't exactly the same as uh, Jewish mysticism, it's closer to it, I think. Because they teach that, you know, Yeshua had this nature that was fully human, fully human nature, but he also had this divine nature to him, but they were separate. His human nature and his divine nature weren't the, the same thing. These are two different things. And um, so it's not exactly right because the same idea, you sh- you see Yeshua it. overcoming a Yetzirah. Yes, yeah, he has to overcome temptation. <laughs> and um, hmm. you see, he when he prays, he prays not my will, but your will be done. So there's different mm-hmm. wills at work here. Mm-hmm. Um, he's submitting to the Father in a real way, not just in a for show way. Um, mm-hmm. He doesn't know things that he says you know only the father knows mm-hmm. when the son of man is is returning is it even mm-hmm. the son doesn't know so there's there's differences there <laughs> yeah. and these differences are always really thorny issues to see tackled from a, a you know orthodox theologians it's always you can tell a headache and you can understand why because it's not he's not saying what they think he's saying Right. But that's what Mimtet was created for, was to do the will of Hashem. Yes, yeah, it's a vessel for accomplishing the, the will of It's God how Hashem yeah. interacts with all of creation. Yes. Yes. And again, that's, this is the very condensed version. Yeah, this There's is like... So much that can be said. Like, I'm that, three so. years old teaching somebody this please oh my go gosh. study a lot more just take this as a jumping off point yeah this is um, not it yeah. this is just to, to give this the is us being of, excited about what we're learning yes but <laughs> <laughs> mainly just to give the flavor of this is the the difference between a uh, jewish mystical view of messiah and what became the predominant uh, view of the messiah's nature in christianity through the western church Yofi. Yofi.
Did we have anything else we want to try and... We kind of did. Okay. We kind of did. I'm looking at... um, Actually, I just want to go back to Acts 20.28. We made a note here because in the Talmud Kedashim 49a, it says that whoever is a blasphemer, or who is the blasphemer, but the one who translates or interprets, translates verses literally. Yes. Yeah, they're putting out an important warning there that these things are part of a a mystical tradition. These things are conveying deep spiritual truths in earthly language, but yes, they're not to be taken literally in many senses. And as the inheritors of that tradition, the rabbis were warning everybody about how far off we could get if we start taking things literally that aren't meant literally. And we unfortunately see the sad history of that. I'm looking something up right now because I found this the other day and it was so encouraging. What are we looking up? Well... I'm going to find the other thing, but this was cool too. The Rosh bomb on Genesis 48.8 says that Israel saw God, even though it is written that he could not see. Um, it is impossible to see a person's shape without, it is possible, it is possible to see a person's shape without recognizing the features of his face. So also man may not see me and live. Rosh bomb is saying that while one cannot see God clearly, one can see him in the same way that a partially blind man can see non-detailed images. And I just thought that was interesting that the idea you can't see God and live is this is why Hashem has made Mimtet because he's got to manifest himself in ways we can handle right. in, the, in the created order, especially since the fall. Um, but that there is this sense where he still wants us to see him and he lets us get those like fuzzy hazy glimpses you know where we're like ah that was so great and i love you hashem and mm-hmm. but he's like i don't want you to die so <laughs> right and i think this is the sort of thing that a uh, same concept that john is mentioning in the introduction to his gospel uh, where he says no one has at any time seen the father so no one has actually literally seen god that's like scripture says doesn't happen. You can't do that. Um, he says, we've seen his glory. So I think that's the same thing he's talking about. But I think that's what the Rashbaum meant by his uh, analogy of it's like seeing someone's blurry outline. It's like you're not, because we obviously don't literally see a blurry outline of God either. It's like, but you see this idea of who he is. Yes. Through the way. His that, attributes. His. Right. That's the whole concept of the, the Sephiroth. Essence. That, yes. That God himself is, is like the Ain Sof. He's. The one without limits, he's the one that can't be conceived, he's beyond any concept of physicality or time or space or description, but you can know him through his attributes, you can know him through things he does. And that's what Yeshua made known. He showed us the works of God. He showed us the works of God. Yes. And that's why we were supposed to trust. How he manifested God by doing his works. Yes. Yes. I'm looking for the quote that basically says that even if people get off into heresy, okay, here it is. Okay. This is from Between Torah and Wisdom. Um, And it says, because the majority of Jews in his time believed in a corporal God, Rabbi Meir ben Shimon stated that the verses in the Torah and the prophets cannot mislead one and thereby turn him into a heretic. He therefore assumes that one who is led to his error by misinterpreting the scriptures remains a Jew in good standing. Right. This is why you see in Judaism people arguing, just like Yeshua and the Pharisees, Mm -hmm. heatedly, and then going to eat together. Right. There's no schisms. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a few schisms here and there, but it's not like there are 40,000 denominations because 
we do things so differently or disagree so much. It's, um, and this has to do with interpreting things literally that you can get into heresy that way, but right. that your standing as a good Jew doesn't change. I thought yes. that was neat. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's a beautiful note to, to wrap it up on because that's just sets the different tone from, Again, this, applies to Christians. this applies yeah, to Christians. This applies to Christians. It applies to people who have misunderstanding um, because they've misinterpreted the word. But And that's the whole thing about deed and not creed. Right, yeah. You we're know? definitely not saying that anyone who believes in the Trinity is lost. <laughs> right, um, who, who can say. Right. But people, I mean, who with every measure of light that Hashem has given them... Mm-hmm are obeying Mm -hmm. if they've you know for every area that Hashem has revealed an area for them to grow Mm -hmm. and they've said yes and they're in their 100% obedience then I mean Hashem is the judge who can say that that person just because they're not at your level of course is (laughs) you're not in the covenant so right no for sure um I think that's a, a positive note to end on yeah just because you might get off into some wrong ideas. It doesn't mean that you've, you know, lost your place in the covenant in the community. It's right. It's right. very merciful. Right. Yes. But by knowing, learning our our history more and learning where these doctrines come from, we can staying hungry have a clearer understanding from these things and avoid seeking intimacy and with Messiah who leads us into all truth. Yes. He leads us into all truth. Amen. Yep. Well, well I think that is enough for tonight. Talk for tonight. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Uh, blessings. And thank you, Hashem, for your word and for teaching your people Israel your Torah. Amen. Amen.